Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome once again to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio, coming up on this best of. Queen of comedy Sarah Pascoe sharing news of her upcoming UK tour success story. Fitness fanatic Joe Wicks has our hearts racing ahead of attempting to break the world record for the world's largest hit workout, which he currently holds. Talk TV's Piers Morgan gives us the latest on his Talk TV show Uncensored, and Scottish music sensation Paolo Nutini chats about his brand new album Last Night in the Bittersweet and upcoming UK and European dates. All of that and so much more to come, so Dapper Dave, kick us off, please do. She's a writer, actor, presenter and stand-up comedian and the only guest we've ever had on the show who's given Rachel a pair of shoes with a unicorn heel. Her new 50-date tour success story starts in November, so please go wild as we make a great British sewing beeline for the brilliant Sarah Pascoe! Morning, Sarah! Morning! Can we recap the Rachel Horn shoe story, please? Right, well, I regret this. I need to firstly say that these were amazing shoes and you're reminding me of a huge mistake after three glasses of wine. I get very generous. I'm a generous drinker. And uh, we were near neighbours at that point. And after a lovely evening in the pub, Rachel complimented me on something and I insisted she took it home and kept them forever. (laughs) You also told me that you couldn't walk in them. And I said, I bet I'll be able to walk in them. I also couldn't walk in them. So can we just do this like The Affair, that amazing show on Sky uh, Atlantic, where, you know... it's, yeah. it's two takes on the same story. So that was that's Sarah's memory. And, yeah, so my memory is we went back to your house mm-hmm. and I'd complimented maybe the shoes you were wearing and you said, oh, I've got another pair by the same brand that I can't walk in. Oh, yeah. Why don't you have those? Yeah. And I went, all right then. And you gave me them and they were a thing of absolute beauty. If anybody ever loved My Little Pony as a child, mm. this was like a My Little Pony with a shoe on top. See, that is a different take on the story, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, now I'm hearing it back. I'm going, I did force you to take something crippling. <laughs> it wasn't really a gift, was it? So you do have the, the shoes that you like. You're, you're recounting that now. What's that? You weren't wearing you them. I wasn't wearing them. You no. didn't give away the ones that you like. You gave away another pair. Do, yeah. have, have they enjoyed any sort of uh, sartorial... I attempted to wear them three times mm. and on each occasion I had to remove them. So yeah. Because you cannot walk in them. Yeah, what? they're photograph shoes. Like, take a picture, put it on Instagram, put proper shoes on. Yeah. What yeah. is the aspect to do with them from a design point of view... Which makes them unwalkable in. It's the unicorn. Yeah, I'd blame the horn. You so should have right inside your insole. You should have proper heels on shoes. Yeah, not not an animal. Yeah. Right. Can we? Are there, there photographs? But this has to be. This is an Instagram moment waiting to happen, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Imagine a statue where you'd normally have a heel. Yeah, right. that's what it is. So they're beautiful. Yeah. If they were also comfortable, it would be amazing. So be a winner. They're too ornate for their own good. This yeah. is style before content slash comfort. They're yes. not really shoes. They're more objects. Yeah. Imagine a really beautiful person with a horrible personality. That's those <laughs> shoes. So <laughs> shall we, in that case, if we do another auction for an excellent um, cause, uh, because we have today's hot tub winners who bid five and a half thousand yeah. pounds uh, for our NHS auction to go and float in the, the port of, of London in hot tubs. I can't... I think we made this up. I don't think they exist. <laughs> Is that what they're doing later? They think they are. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm not quite sure. Let's give them some... I think post- I feel like a target. 
Let's give, give them some post-show drinks Let's and maybe they'll forget rhymes. about the... I don't even know where they... Are they... Mo is it motorised? Oh, it is. It's coming back to me now. But anyway, in a future auction, should we auction off these shoes? They've already gone to Cancer Research UK shop. Oh, that's fair enough. Yeah, that's okay. lovely. Yeah. No, no, that is lovely. There's someone walking around, hobbling, hobbling around in them. Saying, well, at least the money went to a good cause. All right, well, come on. We're here to put bombs on seats and sell tickets for Sarah's forthcoming tour. It's her biggest one ever. SarahPasco.co.uk is where you need to go to spend an evening with this extraordinary, funny and clever lady from the 10th of November the tour begins it's called the success story and it really is I mean it's 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 the length and the breadth uh, of of the UK we start in where, where do we start Let's Hayes, have a look I think is it Hayes um bang on Hayes the Beck Theatre listen to you knowing about all your tour uh, <laughs> is that close to home that one I don't know where it is actually Middlesex yeah Heathrow uh, Yes, yeah, it's not too bad. All I live right. in North London. That's so Hayes Dunstable, I'm not going to go through all of them, but Hayes Dunstable, Norwich, I'll, I'll do a few. OK, I'll miss things. at Tunbridge Wells, I'm missing, missing five out, then we get to Lincoln. Missing six out, then we get to Aberdeen. Missing seven out, then we get to Yeovil. Missing four out, and then we get to Oxford. Missing two out, then we get to Manchester. I'll miss three out, we get to Cork, and then I'm going to miss nine out. And I'm going to tell you that on the 20th of April, uh, on the third, the second, third last date, Liverpool Philharmonic Hall, 21st of April, um, penultimate date, Harrogate Royal Hall, and 22nd of April, Basingstoke Anvil. Yeah. How's that? Lovely. Thank Happy you so much. Can we also mention Stoke on Trent? Well, I haven't sold many tickets. Stoke on Trent! <laughs> Stoke! Let's give them a hallelujah because that always works. Hang on a minute, Stoke on Trent. Uh, go and see Sarah Pascoe. Why wouldn't you? Stoke on Trent! Sarah Pascoe! Stoke on Trent! Sarah Pascoe.co.uk! If that doesn't do it, so I can't do any more than that for you. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, so this is your biggest tour so far. Um, will, you be, will you be considering footwork? I mean, because you are lit, it is stand up. Yes, I'll, I'll be wearing comfortable but beautiful shoes. What about your first ever um, experience on stage behind a microphone? Yeah, it was probably about 13 years ago. Right. I had two glasses of wine then, so I didn't give anything away, but I was in a good mood. It was a two-glass night. It was a two-glass night. I, I kept, I was standing, sitting at the side. I couldn't imagine actually being on stage. I mm. thought, when he says my name, the MC, I'm going to say, I'm so sorry, this was a huge mistake. And then actually he said my name and I was too embarrassed to say I couldn't do it. So I sort of walked up and then this click happens, doesn't it? Where you're just, you cope, your body just kind of, you start talking and then it's finished. And then with wobbly legs, I walked off stage and I said, I found the thing I'm meant to do for the rest of my life. Everything's been leading up to this moment. Wow. This is it. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful that that's how you felt afterwards? Yeah. I remember sitting on the tube home going, I'm a one-man band. I'm like those people in Shakespeare's time who went from town to town and said their plays. And was it because it went well no. or because you felt comfortable? <laughs> it was because I realised I was bad at something, but I wanted to be good at it. Right. I didn't, I didn't really get any laughs, but people smiled at me. But it was the effect of them looking at me that I was like, no, this is it. I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be in character. I want to be me. Right. I just need to work out how so, to do so it. So you were acting before that? I was trying to act, yeah. I always okay. wanted to be an actor. And, yeah. and isn't that interesting? So, so this made you feel completely different, yet you were still on a stage in front of people. Yeah. So tell us why you think, where, where that sort of um, difference landed between the two. I think what I realised was the reason I wasn't a very good actor was that I didn't want to lose myself. Myself is the thing that I wanted to share. Right, OK. But the attention of acting, I didn't realise there was another way of getting an audience to look at you, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so what did you, how long were you on stage for that first experience and, and what kind of things did you talk about? Five minutes. Right. And I'd written a set. I put that in quotation marks. I'd written a little paragraph about how um, 
high school, the musical wasn't very realistic if you went to school in Rumford. And it was about my school. <laughs> That's already funny. And I kind of pitched secondary school, the musical, about my, some stuff happened on an inset day at my school. And then people sort of nodded politely and went, I see what you're trying to do there, lady. Right. And that was it. Sarah, it's great to see you. Um, uk. anything else you'd like to get out there whilst you're on? Just uh, lots of love to everyone. Hope everyone's coping. Especially Stoke. Yeah. yeah, but all of the UK. <laughs> yeah. But let's let's start with Stoke. <laughs> all right, thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Awesome to see you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. He's the nation's PE teacher. He's a best-selling author, and now he wants to be a record breaker. Of course, if you want to be the best, if you want to beat the rest, dedication, dedication, dedication's what you need. Well, he's got that. And now he just needs you. Please welcome Joe Good morning, Joe! Good morning, guys. I'm hoping you, Chris, can save the day because, uh, yeah, we're trying to break this world record, mate, and I am struggling. We're nowhere near the numbers yet. <laughs> okay, well, let's get it out there. So go to thebodycoach.com. Uh, tickets are available. Yes, you have to pay to be part of a world record, but all the money goes to charity. Um, places start at a fiver. Where does the money go, Joe? So the money's going to a wonderful charity called Calm, which is obviously a mental health charity. And, um, yeah, we're really just about... I want to celebrate. So 10 years ago, Chris, I started handing out flyers in, in Richmond for the boot camp. Right. And I wanted to come together, get everyone out in the park on uh, tomorrow night, Hyde Park, London, for a world record event and try and break the world record, which is 3,804 people. And um, so, yeah, if you're in London, you fancy it, come along. It's going to be a fantastic evening. Well, there's plenty of people here. Vassus has already threatened to come with his son, Matthew, uh, and a few more folks. Matthew's now got a job in a bike shop. Why doesn't he tell all his customers today about this, Vassos? Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a great idea, isn't it? Uh, what will it consist of, this largest ever workout? Well, I did this four years ago, and um, we did it in Hyde Park on the main stage at British Summertime. So it's an amazing venue. And essentially, we had 3,800 people there. And that was way before P with Joe and all the lockdown workouts. So I thought... We're definitely going to smash it this year, but we ain't quite there yet, so I do need your help. And what we're going to do is a 30-minute workout. I do a little warm-up. It's 30 seconds of work, 30 seconds rest. So it's not like a super extreme, super intense workout. It's just about moving and keeping going for the full 30 minutes. And hopefully, if we beat 3,800 people, we'll get the Guinness World Record together tomorrow night. Yeah, so you will be a world record holder. That's the fun of it all, isn't it? It's going to be a gorgeous night as well, half past six in Hyde Park. What's to not, not to like about this? Joe, you know, if you say you went to say you went to Glastonbury on Saturday, for example, just gone, and uh, you were on stage just before Paul McCartney, and you did a hit workout then, because there were 200,000 people in front of that stage on Saturday, would that count, or do these people have to come together just for the workout? Well, obviously, the, the the aim they're quite strict with the rules so the, the rules are you've got to have everybody there doing the 30 minute workout and if, if the exercise lasts 30 seconds you've got to keep moving for the full 30 seconds so it's not <laughs> like i'm not going to go super advanced but it's an, when you look out a crowd and see thousands of people exercising you know, different ages different fitness levels it's amazing so if you took part in p with joe you loved any of my workouts in the past come along and support this because it's going to be amazing and I think you'll remember it for a long time. All right, so 6.30 is going to kick off. It's going to finish at 7-ish then. And then uh, what, what are the plans? All, all down to the pub? Probably down to the pub. Well, yeah, probably down to the pub, have a little celebration. But either way, you know, if we do or don't break the world record, we're going to have a great workout. You're going to walk out of that park feeling energised, feeling motivated. So that's... um another great thing but all listen right. it's all about mental health as well isn't it so of course come down it is. and feel good for the night yeah and we talked to, to Calm last week actually about this amazing last photo exhibition they had on the South Bank here Calm stands for Campaign Against Living Miserably so if you are around tomorrow around London maybe coming here for the day or you're on your way home 
or you've finished and you fancy uh, a good excuse for beer o'clock, 6.30pm in London's High Park tomorrow. Go to atthebodycoach.com to find out more. Joe, what have you done so far this morning health-wise? I know you've been on Good Morning Britain this morning and you're still there, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I'm just about to leave here. Well, actually, I normally get in the mo- I normally get up and do my ice bath. So I was actually around Russell Brand the other day in his ice bath. <laughs> and we were talking about you, saying how much of a legend you were. Um, so yeah, I'm into my ice baths and my early morning work. That's my, that's my kind of routine. Right. He gets real. He gets really competitive in the ice bath. Uh, I know you you have a brass bath. You're just about to get a brass monkey though, like his, aren't you? I think. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's like next level cold. I so know. I've just got a normal ice machine. But I did three and a half minutes, and I was like, I was I was, I was laughing because when I got out, I was like shivering. I thought I was having a, <laughs> a, 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 a tra- I was in a trance. But he done seven and a half minutes and said that was like a real that danger zone. Seven and a half minutes. Did he say anything about anybody else doing longer than that? Oh, are you the guy that done seven minutes? Because he said he'd done seven and a half. No. Oh, yeah, it was no, you, wasn't no, it? No, 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 no. Um, just, just do me a favour, phone him up afterwards and say, uh, is there anything you want to tell me about that ice bath, Russell? We can have a conversation next time we're around. Um, so how would you normally be, how what would you know, routine, your normal routine be, your normal morning routine for people listening? What can they do in five minutes, Joe, every day as a tiny habit to make their lives better? Well, I mean, look, all movement's good for you, so it could be, uh, it could be a yoga, it could be a quick little hit session, it could be walking to work. I just think getting out, moving yourself, you realise you can change your mindset and how you feel about yourself by just moving your body. So that's the most important thing, I think. Yeah, somebody said to me yesterday, you know, if you're taking care of the macro, so so for example, if you're being really good um, with your food, um, then, you know, don't don't forsake um, the macro for the micro in as much as uh, which and they, I've never heard this before so if, you, if you're really focusing on improving your diet and changing your diet forever so changing the way you eat forever and then you think well on a Friday I'll treat myself they said no don't do that because it's not worth it because it reintroduces you know uh, the beginning of everything you're, you're trying to leave behind what do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that the principle of like, you know, eat well Monday to Friday and I'll blow out on the weekend, that, that doesn't really work because people do that all around the world and yet we're still getting more overweight, more unfit. So if you are consistent and you truly want to like get a result, you have to be seven days a week for a month, for two months, two months, because then it really becomes a habit and you don't actually crave the junk food, the booze, the chocolate every weekend because you're on a kind of healthier like, mindset, if you like. Where are you with, with your food and with um, drinking and things like that? So, I mean, I love my food. I'm greedy. Like, I love massive portions and I do eat a lot of food because I exercise. I move myself a lot. You know, I move my body a lot. I think I can get away with it. Drink wise, I, you know, I have a gin and tonic on the weekend, but I'm not a drinker. I'm not a really big drinker. I'm more that habit for, for, for taste and flavour. But I think, you know, it depends what your goals are. If your goals are fat loss, you've got to knock the booze in the head for a few weeks. You've got to get into the kitchen, start cooking and stick to it longer than a week or two. It's going to take months to get a result. Right. So you can't out train a bad diet. You know, that's the thing, isn't it? And uh, what about sleep? Any, any tips for helping uh, helping people with their sleep? I've just actually interviewed an amazing guy called Dr. Matthew Walker on my podcast. Um, it's called the Joe X Podcast. He's a sleep scientist. And yeah, it's the most important thing. Like sleep is the foundation of everything else lies on, right? So getting to sleep a little bit earlier, having a routine, like a regular routine, Obviously, the biggest factor, I think, the structure is, is the phone and the screen. So trying to get away from that for a little bit. That means you wake up the next morning energised, you have more energy to exercise, and you make better food choices. So, yeah, sleep is the biggest indicator of our health, I think. Listen, give out that address again, because I've been given the wrong one. I've been giving you tickets available at thebodycoach.com, and it's not that. What is it again? Yeah, oh, you can you can probably go through through the blog on the, web, on the website, but the actual website for the actual tickets is Joe dot wicks at eventbrite.co.uk all right joe you know where we are always here for a good course thank you so much pal the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio our next guest just doesn't know how not 
to make headlines. His latest row involved taking aim at Glastonbury, calling it full of stinking revellers. All this and more on the TV show which they can't stop talking about. Piers Morgan, uncensored, is back on Talk TV at 8pm tonight and with his voice as loud as a church organ, please welcome... Piers Morgan. Good morning, Piers. Good morning. Good morning. Now, come on, you said that before, Glaster, but Macca smashed it. You must have seen that. Diana Ross as well. Is it time to eat your words? Oh, no. Let me make one thing crystal clear. I wasn't talking about the actual performances. I was talking about the experience of attending festivals, which, albeit when the weather is as glorious as it's been the last few days, is a fairly acceptable experience. But you were talking recently uh, this morning, Chris, about Wimbledon being unbearable because it gets hot. And yet it's the most luxurious sport-watching experience in the world. Let me take you to a few festivals, because I went to a few of my teams. They are the most stinking hellhole experiences on God's earth. And the moment the rain gets up at Glastonbury, you may as well bury yourself into a pit of manure. Okay. Um, having said that, no, I, I mean, obviously I, I run two festivals, so thanks for that, Pierce, uh, both for charity. <laughs> but, <laughs> please, tickets available for Carfest now, Northern South, Carfest August, where you need to go. Um, anyhow, uh, Pierce, you need to but come. The performances, the performances yes. were amazing. Okay. I mean, I thought Paul McCartney, Phew. I've actually just sent him an email because I felt compelled, I don't do this very often, by the way, but I just felt compelled to drop him a line to just say, I think that was one of the greatest things I've ever watched. Paul McCartney at 80, playing for three hours, 35 songs, including, you know, half of them would be in the pantheon of history as greatest songs ever written by any British musician. And to see him at that age, with that vitality, that energy, with that crowd, I thought it was, and at the moment when he turned and sang that duet effectively with John Lennon uh, was one of the most remarkable, moving things I've ever watched. Yeah, and all from the comfort of your armchair. I'm with you on that as far as that's concerned, Piers, I've got to say. Um, Now, it's the opening day of Wimbledon. If only you had a former 18 Grand Slam uh, singles title uh, (laughs) tennis player on your show this evening. Well, we do. We have the great great Martina Navratilova, who's always a fantastic guest. And it's very timely because there are several issues, I think, which are really big right now involving not just Wimbledon, but, but sport generally, which she has a, a firm view about. One of which, of course, is what you do about Russian athletes right now. Can they compete in events like Wimbledon? Wimbledon has taken the decision that because of our government sanctions, it's inappropriate. And as a result, you don't get points for performing at Wimbledon. Martina's view is she never played Wimbledon for the points. She played for the trophies and the glory and the legacy and the history. But there is a debate, isn't there, about how far do you take punishing Russian athletes, Russian artists, Russian, you know, any, any individuals for the performance and, and behaviour of their government. Uh, and the other issue, which, of course, is raging away, and I don't think will go any quieter in the, in the short term, is this whole issue of trans athletes in women's sport. And Martina has been very vocal about that. And in fact, you know, had repeated abuse and the mob come for her for expressing what I think is a transparent, obvious fact, which is if you're born to a male biological body, then you have a superior physical advantage over women born to female biological bodies. And this is, you know, it shouldn't even be controversial from my point of view, but the abuse that she's had to endure, despite being one of the most high-profile LGBT uh, promoters and supporters that sport's ever seen, I think has been disgraceful.
Right, Piers Morgan and Censored Weekdays, uh, 8pm on Talk TV. But before that, I know that you're prepped today, Piers, for your show this evening, tonight at 8pm, with Martina Navratilova. We'll be watching the final day of the third test, England, New Zealand. Uh, do you know what? I, I don't think I've ever felt, ever felt so excited about watching England cricket. I watched the England cricket team, my first test match, I was 10 years old, 1975, Lillian Thompson against Tony Gregg's England. I fell in love with the game really full on then. And I've watched for the next 47 years. And we've had great moments, but never have I seen such an unbelievable sea change in the way we're playing, the mentality, this new attack, 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 never defend, never play for a draw. And it's the, we call it the Bob, Baz and Ben team. So Rob Key was brought into running the cricket a few months ago. He immediately appointed Ben Stokes as captain. And they've also brought in uh, Baz McCullum, the great Kiwi superstar, to be the coach. And the combination of these three guys has made England cricket now utterly electrifying to watch. And it's just thrilling. You know, you know, just think, well, we're not going to lose because every time we get into a terrible hole, the boys go on the attack and blaze away. And there's something about, isn't there, in life, Chris, I think you've always had this view, that you can be defensive and you can always, you know, prod away and you can let people attack you and never hit back. But actually, the best form of defence is often attack. And I think that applies in cricket as in life. And I think just be positive, get on the front foot and do what these England cricket boys are doing right now and you will succeed in life. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's forward momentum for me more than attack. I used to think that, but as got older and maybe maybe like, I don't know, you know, half an ounce wise, I think I think go just keep going forwards. That's the thing. And if people want to drag you back, then you know that's that, that's fine. They can go there. But well, it's the old it's the old um, Rocky Balboa quote. And my famous uh, favorite movie scene was the one from the sixth movie of the franchise when Rocky's spoiled son is whining away about being his son and all the terrible impact it apparently has on him. And Rocky suddenly stops him in the street and issues this tour de force at him about life is not a, you know, a bed of roses. Life's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how, how hard you can get hit and then get back up and keep moving forward. And I think that's completely true. You know, I've got a whole ongoing issue about the way that we uh, prepare kids for the real world these days. I think we cover them in way too much cotton wool. Anxiety rates are through the roof. And I think we should be getting into schools and giving them that rocky speech and say, look, life is tough. It's not easy. And the way to deal with it is to, you've got to be resilient. You've got to have strong mental health, strong responses to these things. And I just don't think we do enough of it. I really don't. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Good morning, Paolo Nutini. Hey, man. How are you? I'm very well. Oh, my goodness me. And this is a proper band up here. This is them, man. Wow. Uh, Do you know everybody's names? Because there are so many people. Do you have a register? Can you? Most of them. Okay. um, (laughs) Where's Gavin? Hi, Gavin. Gavin on uh, guitar, keys and backing vocals. Richard Thomas, guitar, keys and backing vocals. Geordie Vidal Fuster. Is that right? Have I said it right there, Geordie? Donato Di Trapani. I remember Donato from last time. (laughs) I do. Uh, Michael McDade and, and John Blee. So bass and backing vocal and drums. Paolo, how have you been, man? What's been what's been happening? It's been living life. Yeah? 
Yeah, happy oh. to be out and about. Yeah, you are. And it's great to have you back, sounding as good as ever. Last night in the Bittersweet, it's out today. Uh, tour tickets available at paolonutini.com. Did you pop up at Glastonbury? We did, yeah. We played the rabbit hole. Was that a, was that a secret thing? Was that a surprise thing? How does that it, work? It was, thankfully, not too much of a secret. People people came. So it was great. So did, were you announced or, or...? I'm not sure how it works, man. I, I, you know, I knew I was playing. That was... <laughs> and is the rabbit hole, is that a surprise? Is that where su- surprise, the magic it, happens? It was such a great little part of Glastonbury. They were, they were the nicest people. And how, how many times have you been to Glastonbury? I think it was, I think maybe it was, that was seven, maybe? Seven yeah. Or six or seven. If you can remember exactly, you, you yeah. weren't there. <laughs> were you? I suppose that's the thing. Did you stay? Did you stick around? We camped, we camped on Saturday and, and we left on the Sunday night. Did you see You, you Know Who play? Oh, yeah. Yeah? But yeah, I was, I was, I, was, I experienced it. We'll put it that way. Okay, did you know about his surprises, about Dave Grohl and Bruce Springsteen? I I'd had no idea, no. Yeah, what was it like to be there? What was it like to be in the, the man's aura? I mean, I've we've I've experienced him before, but obviously I wasn't there that night. What was it like? The first time I went, he played. There was so about it must have been about yeah six seven years ago. That was when he played as well. So yeah. it was nice, a full circle sort of thing. Do, could you sense the fact that people? My, my friend of mine went. Uh, lots of friends of mine went. I was talking to one yesterday, and he said it was a different level of joy. Hadn't happened for three years. People were just on a, a different kind of high. Is that what you sensed? I just, I, I just thought, I thought, wow, you know, yeah. they are doing that thirty odd songs, eighty year old, thirty five. I was songs. like, wow. Yeah. yeah, Elton John's, you know, he's like playing every night at the moment. So, and he's, he's 75, so he's a whippersnapper. Easy peasy. Yeah. yeah, and also he gets to sit down. <laughs> like Not like saying. you, you're running around. I know what's going on, eh? He's so busy on a, on a Friday. Uh, Joe from Hull says, Hi, Chris, the team. I saw Paolo Nutini supporting Liam Gallagher at Nebworth, and he absolutely blew me away. Can't wait to go and see him again later on in the year. How was Nebworth? Mad. Yeah, come on. Tell us more Mad. about that. It was nice. It felt like kind of. And there wasn't too much pressure because you knew who was everybody was there to see. You were yeah, just yeah. like trying to get them going for that. We played a little Oasis song on the set. It helped. What did you play? <laughs> what did we play again? Uh, half the world away. Um, and here it is now. Only joking. Uh, morning. <laughs> morning. You're very welcome, by the way. Uh, morning, Chris and the team. Uh, beyond excited that Paolo's uh, on the show. Absolutely smashing it. Huge fan. I was lucky enough to see him live in Manchester Arena, so uh, no, we're in for a treat. Uh, please can you ask him about the process when writing his song Echoes? It's a very special song for me, says Safia. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, uh, as I've said, uh, it's, it's about somebody who will stick with you, whether you're, you know, whether you're maybe making the right or the wrong decisions. And they, um, they, 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 they kind of stick by you, you know? They yeah, understand. Yeah. Uh, morning, Chris. Loving hearing Paolo this morning. Please could you ask him about the scholarship scheme he's set up? Chris in Inverness asks. Sure. Um, that's been running now for what, about three, four years, and it's out of my hometown in Paisley. And it seems to be, you know, doing, doing the job. A lot of really talented people coming into it. How does it work? It's, I mean, the with the with the help of some people at the, um, you know, at the at the uni, we the, the, we'll pick a few people. I think this year there's maybe like th- three or four people. I think four that have that have come in and got the scholarship. And so they audition it's getting, for it, it's getting they? more. 
we're getting more and more people as it goes along each that year. That's fantastic, that's, isn't it? That's cool. Yeah. Good for you, pal. Good for you. Uh, many reviews in. I know you don't do reviews, but I'm going li- to literally... I do the good ones. I, I was going to say, you will not be disappointed, <laughs> right? I, I haven't read anything that isn't other than pretty darn wonderful. I'm just going to nick one line from one of them. I think it might be Enemy. I can't remember. I've read them all this morning, oh. by the way, and I heard the album yesterday. Awesome. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's Paolo pushing himself, taking on the big themes... Nice. I like that. Is that how it does that ring true for you? Does that work for you as a description? I, I mean, I, it's, that's that's that feels great to me. That's that's that sounds good to me. Taking on the big Taking themes. Taking on the man. big themes. I'm not sure what that means, but yeah, I'm cool. I'm, all right. I'm cool with that. Okay, well, you're smiling all the way through this morning. I've this is most I've smiled in the morning for <laughs> a long time. Is this the most of the morning you've seen in the morning? I don't the know what's time? in it. What's in the coffee? Mate, I don't know. It's working for me. I love it here. <laughs> Boys, listen, thanks so much. I know that this is mad playing at this time in the morning. I know it's completely crazy. And you've, you've brought in all the gear. You know, you're not held back at all. You've brought in all the, all the gear. You've got a massive team and here. That's these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Thanks so much. Because you, you could have come in straight back. Yeah, absolutely. Round of applause. I mean, it's, it's like... It's like you're about to play, you know, um, I don't know, the biggest venue in the world. It's so cool. It's so cool that you've gone to all this effort. I really appreciate no, it. No, it means a lot. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having us. No, you're more than welcome. The brand new album, it is awesome. It's, uh, it's, it's all, it's everything you want. So you've got the foundations of what we know and love of Paolo Nutini, and then you have the brand new glass roof on top is what I'm saying. <laughs> I hope that's all right. That's that's my words. Not Lovely, me, man. Okay, last night in the bittersweet, out today. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Okay, we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already, but there's still so much more to come. Super strong England hooker Dylan Hartley telling us all about Sky Sports rugby coverage this summer. Fun guy and nature expert... Michael Pollan, see what he did there, flicks through the pages of the paperback edition of his mind-melting book, This Is Your Mind on Plants. Entertainment powerhouse Baroness Floella Benjamin lifts the lid on her amazing life via her new autobiography, What Are You Doing Here? Vein specialist Professor Mark Whiteley tells us all about vein health and his London-based clinic. And our favourite member of the F1 team, David Crofty Croft, warms us up ahead of the British Grand Prix, live and exclusive on Sky Sports F1. So let's get right back to it. Who's next, fam? Forget the Watford Gap Rugby Union does the North-South divide on a truly global scale. Hemispheres collide on Sky Sports this summer as all four home nations head south. Here to get us excited, comprehensively not partly, it's the former England captain, Dylan Hartley. Morning, Dylan. Uh, Good morning, Chris. Um, I don't know if I'm here to get you excited. I'm, I'm here to talk rugby, but um, <laughs> you get excited, that's cool. That's great. Well, you're very on brand in your Sky Sports bucket hat there on Zoom. Oh, sorry, I didn't know I had that on, but um, there's not much <laughs> going on under the hat, if I'm honest. So, yeah. I quite like it. In fact, I like it a lot. I want one. So, Dylan, um, we hear, of course, that England, Ireland, Wales has gone are off uh, touring the Southern Hemisphere exclusively on Sky. England in Australia, Ireland in New Zealand, Wales playing South Africa, and Scotland playing Argentina. I'm presuming um, you would pick New Zealand um, out of um, those particular venues because you have a lot of family there because that's where you were born. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place to go go to. Um, it's very rural. It's very quiet. A lot of the, the Northern Hemisphere teams struggle out there. Um, I know some of the English lads find it um, quite hard to, to maintain focus for about three to four weeks because it's so sleepy there. But um, no, good place to go play, you know, traditionally playing the best in the world in their own backyard. 
um, the Irish have got quite a big task uh, down there this summer. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because often home advantage, like you say, can be more about um, away disadvantage. And that's so interesting, isn't it? Going to somewhere that is just so unlike where you normally live uh, and work. And that can throw you off, regardless of how well prepared you are, or, you know, how fit you are. Yeah, I suppose it's, um, it's breaking what your, your normal routines are. You throw in travel, hotels, all these sorts of things training venues you're not in your same sort of gyms and um changing rooms that you're used to but i suppose the, the biggest sort of thing is um the seasons are kind of polar opposites so that they're embarking on their international season where all the northern northern hemisphere teams are coming to the end of their season so um it depends how you want to you want to sell it uh, as, as a captain going down under i'd say we're battle hardened but if i was a home captain i'd say that they're, they're bloody tired and um let's get, let's get stuck into them it's been a long season for them so um, equally, you know, the All Blacks, it's their first international game of the year. Um, you could go down there and catch them cold. So if Ireland <laughs> have a chance, it'll be in that first game, I suspect. It's all about the framing, isn't it, Dylan? It is. It is. <laughs> did you play in Argentina? Forgive me if you did. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I played um, I played a couple of times out there. Um, it, my first ever sort of international tour where I, where I played rugby was in Argentina and then I went back some, I think it was about eight or 10 years later and I had an 18-year-old Tom Curry as my roommate and we, we kind of worked out the last time I was in Argentina, he was eight or, or 10 years old. So that's when I felt really tired and I knew I had to retire, I think. So you started playing for England, Dill, um, as the most, ended up being the most capped hooker of all time back in 2008. How, how soon was that after you, you arrived here as a 15-year-old from New Zealand? Um... I was, at, I was 16 when I came, and at 21, I played for England. Wow. So I kind of embarked on this um, this journey. I, I went into the unknown, basically, and, and took my rugby boots. And um, in all honesty, I wasn't actually good enough to play for New Zealand. So I, I jumped on a, on a plane and found a different way. Um, and for some reason, you guys, you know, welcomed me with open arms. Um, but no, it was it was it was um, a sort of rapid rise. It was it was fun. Uh, but I, I suppose the the hardest thing was actually, you know, staying there, playing for England. That's that's the hard bit. It's interesting, isn't it, that the fact that you didn't consider yourself or weren't considered or maybe both those things good enough to to reach the elite level in New Zealand, yet you come here and then because, you know, expectations are different, you become good enough not only to play for England, but ultimately, I would suppose, um, you would have been good enough to play for New Zealand, but not if you'd stayed in New Zealand. <laughs> I don't think they would have had me, if I'm honest, but... Um... No, it's, it's just one of those moments, you know, as a 16-year-old lad and, um, you know, I work with, uh, I mentor a lot of um, boys and girls at that sort of age bracket. It's, it's sort of formulative time and, and if it doesn't go your way, a lot of kids stop playing sports yeah. or, or stop pursuing whatever dream they have. And I think at the time it just didn't, you know, it wasn't right for me in New Zealand. So I found a way. Um, I, I seeked um, a new opportunity opportunity and I think through opportunity um, and the good sort of coaching and an opportunity I got in England is the only reason I became a, a, a professional I suppose so look, it's just sliding doors moments you, you've you've always got the choice you know yeah an England skipper from Jan 2016 until the end of your international career in 2018 How, you know we just we just experienced this thing with English cricket sadly against your your um, your beloved New Zealand cricket team uh, where Joe Root has now refound his mojo after handing over the captaincy to, to Ben Stokes you know different player uh, Ben Stokes different human being too um, how different did you find uh, your own game was having to also shoulder the 
mantle uh, slash burden, responsibility, whatever you want to call it, of captaincy? Um, probably, probably the flip to, to Joe Root. Like he, he's obviously found his, his groove again. He's he's knocking it about and having a great time with, without that sort of added expectation. I suppose. I think for me, I, I played a lot of rugby to the point uh, in my England career where I had, actually hadn't achieved anything. And I think you know I had a pretty turbulent sort of twenties. If, if you know people that don't know my story, I got in trouble an awful lot. Uh, I made it very difficult for myself. And um, I suppose you know, with experience and maturity and, and not actually winning an awful lot with England, but playing a lot of games, it got to a point where the, the, the captaincy kind of brought the best out of me. It focused me. Um, shouldering that extra responsibility got the best out of me, essentially. So it, it was good timing. At the twilight of my career, I got to experience um, a lot of good stuff. And, and probably the highlight of that was, you know, grand slamming of Six Nations and then going to Australia and, and beating the, the Aussies in the backyard 3-0, which is the first time we've ever done, ever done that. So that's that's why this this tour this summer is, is very exciting from an England point of view as well. All right, Dylan, it's a joy to talk to you. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, good luck with the move. And how nice is it, by the way, not having all your stuff for a few weeks? It actually makes you realise we live a lot of stuff we don't need. Right? <laughs> we don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that container doesn't need to go anywhere. Maybe you could just stay where it is for a few years. Uh, good on you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you all. Um, I hope you tune in for the, the summer test uh, with Sky. Get that in there. Plug plug away. Um, but yeah, I'll see, I'll see you guys on the telly. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. It's the silver-plated, silver-service, Silverstone centrepiece of our sporting summer, even if it does have maggots. The British Grand Prix weekend begins on Sky Sports F1 today in the red corner. Ferrari in the blue corner Red Bull and in the middle commentating on the chaos it's Crofty I don't know why he's doing a boxing intro for for F1 Um, I I don't know he's away with the fairies today to be honest Crofty how are you doing mate I'm very well good morning to you all that's woken me up this morning yeah so Crofty so much to talk about out of the British Grand Prix now is it always like this in the country of the Grand Prix ahead of the Grand Prix? Because there's more F1 news than usual. And there's always quite a lot for, for some reasons, because uh, the UK and the Brits love their F1. But I mean, you know, there's, there's pages and pages this week. Uh, there is. Um, and I think it's because not only is the British Grand Prix my highlight of the Formula One season, but it's one of the highlights of the British sporting calendar. And we have not one, not two, but three excellent British drivers, all of whom are in contention for a podium this weekend as well. Um, The sun is out, not for long. I think it's going to rain a bit over the weekend. Uh, Silverstone's going to have over 400,000 people packing in. Um, I love it. Formula One is front and centre at the moment. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So what's going on with this story that Lewis Hamilton might not race at the weekend? Could that possibly come to pass? No. Is this jewellery gate again, Yes. uh, to be fair? Uh, So what's happened is uh, the new president of the FIA has said that drivers shouldn't be wearing jewellery when they're in the car. And um, there is a reason for that, and it is all about uh, health and safety. Um, if you uh, if you are in an accident, you need an MRI scan, you can't be wearing earrings and, and nose rings. Um, it, it's not particularly safe to have jewellery on at all times when you're racing in a Formula One car. Um, Lewis Hamilton was given an exemption because he had a nose ring that requires a bit of medical help to take out. That exemption has now come and passed, so he should be taking the nose ring out. 
Um, it'll get settled. It is a bit of a mountain out of a molehill, but technically he might not race. But I would be stunned uh, for the first time in my life, properly stunned, if Lewis isn't on the grid on Sunday. Don't worry, Lewis fans. He'll be there. Yeah, it is a story uh, and it's out there, but I don't think it's going to have any uh, ultimate effect on the the, no. the starting grid of the Grand Prix. The, of course, qualifying will. Now, here, here we go, Crofty. My yeah, son go. Noah and his pal and his pal's dad are going on Saturday. We can't go on Saturday because Ozzy Jane's getting married, oh, which is very, very important. You've met Ozzy Jane. Um, Congratulations, Ozzy Jane. Yeah, and we'll all be racing down uh, to the southeast coast for that. But nice. Noah's, Noah's going on Saturday. Now, I, mm. said, I said, what about Saturday compared to Sunday? And then he read me the card of what's going on on Saturday. And I think the smart ticket money is on the Saturday. It just sounds wonderful. Oh, yeah. It starts at half past seven. There's loads of entertainment. There's, the, uh, there's an historic Grand Prix. Then there's qualifying. Then there's uh, the Porsche World Cup. Um, so you get, you get to see a bit of everything. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, the British Grand Prix is, is the jewel many people's F1 crown on Sunday afternoon. But Saturday is a good ticket, isn't it? Oh, yeah, just a bit. Uh, Silverstone is a proper festival of motorsport. And the undercard, uh, it's, it's like a world title fight plus, quite frankly, in terms of the undercard. You mentioned the Porsches. You mentioned the historic cars. You didn't mention F2. F3. Yep, F2, yep. W Series as well. Sorry, sorry, because sorry. Because the W Series is now on the bill. I mean, honestly... Every single fan that is going to come along, get there early because the entertainment starts early and it runs until late. It, it is a proper festival. And then there's concerts in the evening. Yep. And you might even stop and get a picture with me if you're lucky enough as well. Because it is, it is the weekend of selfies at Silverstone. And, and I'm, I'm all <laughs> smiley and raring to go. Here's the thing. We're so excited. I am so excited about the Grand Prix this weekend. Even though I'm not going, I'm so, so... I had your new boss, the CEO of Sky, in here the other day, Dana. And she said, oh. he, she said, she said are you going this weekend? I said, no, because I'm going to watch it all on Sky. Instead, however, if you do want to invite me to <laughs> next year's Las Vegas Grand Prix uh, for a few cold drinks, then I'll be first on the plane. And um, Yeah, for some... you've got to come to Vegas, baby. Yeah, you've I, got to I, come to Vegas. Well, the three races next year, in, uh, in North America are Miami, Vegas, and um, Austin, aren't they? So will they be all, right. will they yeah. be back to back? How is that going to work on the card next year? Miami will be May time, and then Austin and Vegas will be very close together. Uh, can't tell you exactly when Vegas is going to be, but think November around Thanksgiving time, something like that. But Ooh, if you're nice. coming, Chris, remember this. Yes. Don't ever forget what Verstappen's in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. What's Verstappen's? <laughs> very good. Can I wear my nose ring as a, as a spectator? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Yeah. Nose okay. ring, Hawaiian shirts. See, uh, yeah. We haven't e- we haven't even talked about the race. We don't need to because it's so exciting. Crofty, let's let's enjoy it as it unfolds on the telly. We're done. I think we're done here. Who knows what's going to happen? And that's the best thing about live sport. Nobody knows. you just got to tune in. Mate, you have the best weekend ever. Uh, I'm really excited for you. I, I love, love it when you come on our show. I especially love it live. I know sometimes you can't when you're long hauling. Uh, but I love you, Crofty. Mm. Uh, give my love to the team there at the production meeting this morning. And any highlights, get them to us and we'll, we'll clarion them tomorrow morning on the show. I promise you. Uh, the email will be sent at about half past two. Love you guys too. Love everyone that's coming to Silverstone. Have a great weekend, guys. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. So excited. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Whether it's popping poppy seeds in your teapot for an alternative brew or not getting arrested for what you might be innocently growing in your window box, this psychonaut super gardener is here to guide us through the psychedelic spider's web of uppers, downers and outers. Pollen by name, 
Pollen by nature. It's Michael Pollen. Good morning, Michael. <laughs> morning, Chris. How, How are, are you? you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm thrilled to talk to you. I'm thrilled that you came in in person. I thought you were going to zoom us, but this is here. I am. This yeah. is madness, man. This is massive. This is your mind on plants. It's in paperback. It's out next week. It's a beach read for the summer. Opium, caffeine, mescaline from Michael Pollen. Engrossing, eye-opening, mind-altering. It's a trip. Great book, Michael. Not your first, obviously, for people who know you. Why did you decide on the three um, tenets of opium, caffeine and mescaline for this particular tome? Well, the idea was I wanted to really look at our relationship to these mind-changing substances. Uh, you know, we've had this conversation around drugs and all illicit drugs are evil. and um, But the drug war is beginning to fade and it's time to take another look. All of us. I see you're about to lift a cup of coffee to your mouth. Tea. Tea, okay. But I, but I have coffee to all, all I have this coffee point. too. Yeah. So all, 90% of us are involved with a psychoactive drug every day. Uh, I, I am addicted to coffee and tea. And um, so I wanted to kind of recontextualize drugs for people. And uh, I have been, you know, personally exploring a whole range of psychoactives. I've always been intrigued by the fact that humans like to change consciousness. Um, this is as, as a deep an urge as any we have, but it's a really weird one because it doesn't, unlike sex and eating, it doesn't obviously seem like something good for the species. But uh, it must be, or the drug takers would have been edited out of evolution. Yeah, now, there are so many stories around, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of three main arcs of the book, and it's just a great read. It's the second time I read it, because I read it in, when it was in hardback. So, um, caffeine. You're a caffeine addict, as many of us are. So the best way for you uh, and us to experience the effects of caffeine is to stop taking it. Yeah, so I went on a caffeine fast for three months, and I urge people to try it. It's really hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but it immediately made it absolutely clear to me that f at this point in my life, normal consciousness is caffeinated consciousness. And consciousness without caffeine was slower, duller. Uh, I was less effective at work. I had much less focus. My ego was kind of mushy. Um, <laughs> and I had no idea what role caffeine was playing. And, you know, when caffeine was discovered in the West, it comes to, it comes to London in the 1640s, along with uh, a caffeine in both coffee, tea, and chocolate. They all show up in the same decade. And it changed the course of English history. Um, it displaced alcohol, not completely, obviously, but to some extent, and allowed um, people in the West to work harder, work longer, work more efficiently, uh, and really helps lead to the Industrial Revolution and the Age of Reason, because it was a new way of thinking. And so I don't have anything against coffee. The only reason I got off it was to see how dependent I was and, and what life with, without it was. I'm now back on it very happily. <laughs> I have one cup a day. And, uh, you know, this is a drug, I think, that oh. the benefits outweigh the... the um, the deficits. Uh, it does more for us than it takes well, away. Well, just tell us about that. Tell us to, what you have to substantiate that. Sure. So a lot of medical research has been done trying to figure out what's wrong with caffeine. 
uh, because something's so good, there must be something bad about yeah. it, right? And in fact, they have not found it. The uh, In general, caffeine is protective against several different cancers. It's protective against Parkinson's disease. Um, it is, on balance, better for you than not. The, the one negative about caffeine is if you have it too late in the day, it will mess with your sleep. And sleep is really important to your health. So I, I knock off by noon. I don't have any caffeine afternoon. Yeah, because you talk about the fact that some sleep gurus and some of the best Matthew Walker as yeah. well, um, a lot of them don't drink any caffeine, do they? I was really struck by the fact that anyone who studies sleep has nothing just to do with doesn't, caffeine. Just doesn't anyway. Yeah, and that was the one good thing about, well, there were a couple of good things, but one, the one good thing about my caffeine fast, I slept like a teenager. Did I mean, you honestly? Uh, it was fantastic. I've got to try it then. But I do love a coffee. I'm quite new to coffee. I know the last four or five years, really. I don't know why I'm late to the party. But of course, we caffeinate our children, don't we? Yeah, that's the kind of weird thing. This is a psychoactive we give to our kids in the form of caffeinated sodas. Most uh, sodas are caffeinated, and, um, and we think nothing of it. It's a very strange thing, but we're basically uh, getting them used to caffeine at a very young age. Do so you have one prediction to leave us with for the future? Yeah, in five years, psychedelics will be part of mental health care in this country and in the United States, without question. What are you up to next, Michael Pollan? Uh, I'm working on a book about consciousness. Um, <laughs> one of the things that psychedelics reliably do is make you ask questions about what is this thing? What is this thing? Our awareness. Why are we aware? Why isn't this all hardwired? Yeah, and why are we not aware enough sometimes? And why do we yeah. label everything? And if we because la- if you label something, it blinds you to everything else that surrounds the thing you've labeled. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, those very simple questions, things we take for granted in life, that's what I'm fascinated by. So I'm, I'm looking into the science of consciousness. Okay, mate. It's great to meet you, Michael. Great pleasure, Chris. Awesome, Thank awesome. you for having me on. You're very welcome. This is Your Mind and Plants. It's available uh, next week. You can pre-order it now. You can get a hardback online. Opium, caffeine, and mescaline by Michael Pollan. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. She is an actor, singer, presenter, marathon runner, national treasure, and she looks exactly the same today as she did on Play School, which is slightly annoying for the rest of us. Her brand new autobiography, What Are You Doing Here?, is available now, so let's go with the flow. It's Baroness Floella Benjamin. Good morning, Floella. Good morning. What a wonderful (laughs) introduction. What an honour to speak to you. Great book. Uh, Congratulations. Like he said, I was talking to Keith outside and he said, don't know why we left it so long. Um, I know, I because know. there are three, four, five books with, within you, uh, which makes th- this book all the more riveting to read because it's a page turner is what it is. Really? Do you yeah. like it that oh. much? Yeah, I loved it. Honestly, I loved it. It was it was it's so interesting. You know, you start in Trinidad uh, with your family. Of course, you're, you're one of six. You have a super mum, you have a super dad, super cool mum, saxophone playing dad. Uh, and then you end up here and um, 72 years on you're a baroness fill in the blanks off you go (laughs) well the title was very important for me because what are you doing here there are many different ways of saying that isn't it what are you doing here what are you doing here Uh what are you doing here what are you doing here it's all in intonation isn't it so that's the question i've been asked so many times and i decided to write this book to tell people exactly what I am doing here and what I have been doing here for the last 72, nearly 73 years. I'm 73 in a couple well, of months. I know, time. which is, honestly, you look amazing. But you always have done. You've always been ageless. Well, I, I feel I feel that um, my mission in life is to make a difference to other people's lives. Yeah. I feel that um, children are really important, that we need to focus on children and what we're 
doing to them because each child, you know, when they're born, as I said in the book, they're born with over 84 billion brain cells with no connections. By the time they're 18 <laughs> months, the connections start. Yeah. Touch, feel, smell, attachment, what we showed them, how we tell them we love them, if we don't love them. By the time they're seven, clunk, they are made. Mm. So we have got to do everything we can in our lives to make sure children feel loved, unappreciated, know how to give, how to feel good about themselves, how to be confident. And that's what I've done all my life. I've yeah, tried to do that. But that's that. what your parents did, because they steeped you in love, didn't they? You knew you were loved big time. Exactly, because my parents left me in Trinidad uh, when I was... Uh, my dad left Trinidad when I was eight. My mum left when I was nine. And we had to live with these awful, awful people. You know, I can't... You know, in the book, you know, it describes some of the awful things that my brothers and sisters had to go through. And you were separated, weren't you, as children? That's right. My two brothers went with one set of foster parents. I went with another set. And my brother had to fight for their food. Winner takes all. They they had to sleep under a bed. One day, my brother found a, a magnifying glass and he said to the woman who looked after him, what's this for? And she said, come, let me show you. He put his hand out in the sun yeah. and you can imagine. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that we had to go. I don't know why people are so cruel to children. Why? But I knew I could get through all this because I was loved. When yeah. you feel loved and appreciated, it gives you that confidence to face any adversity. And that's why I said to young people, never give up. Never give up because there's always hope in life that things will get better. But we, people like you, Chris, and your colleagues here, we need to show children especially that they're loved show love freely unconditionally and once you have that in your life you feel anything is possible and with a mother like mine whoa yeah and a dad (laughs) as well so the thing is so so you have love you need that grounding mattress of love of course you do literally connected to mother earth Uh, and then once that sorted out how about a bit of joy you had a lot of joy as well going on didn't you oh very much so my father my father in fact he said to me when i was uh, 18 months 15 months sorry that i told him and the rest of the people he was playing music for stop stop dancing (laughs) you've got it wrong this is the way you dance and my dad said, I haven't stopped telling people just what they need to do in life. But he made me he made me realise that there was a world out there. He was a philosopher. He used to take us to see the outdoor cinema and you see the big movie stars on the screen. When I saw Harry Belafonte and I thought, hey, there's a black man starring in a role. This was in the, in the 50s. So he showed us that things were possible. And as a black person, you need to know you belong. And if you see there, it's like when Barack Obama became president, young kids suddenly thought, well, hey, I can be a president. I can do something different in this world. Yeah. I'm included. And that's what I, you know, that joyfulness and that not, not anything is possible made me have feel that kind of happiness in my heart, that joy in my heart of, 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 of wanting to make other people happy, yeah. so make other people happy Roy, and feel good who, about who they are. You refer to in your book as Dardy and Veronica, who is a mommy, um, uh, amazing parents. So, so your mum said she would never leave you, but she had to in the end in order to, to, to help dad set up a nest over here in the UK. So when did you land here and what was your first experience? I know it's all in the book, I've read it, yeah. um, but just, just for people... Well... <laughs> I was so happy to leave those horrible people in Trinidad back behind me. (laughs) And I got onto this big ship, four of us. My sister was 11, I'm 10, Lester's nine, Ellington is seven, sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, four of us on our own, no supervision. Can you imagine that today? Yeah, but plenty of motion sickness. (laughs) 
exactly. The first five oh, days. Oh my goodness, oh, just reading it made me want to throw up. Seriously, I'm not good on the water. <laughs> but it was wonderful, kind of sailing across. You get to. England, land of hope and glory. Uh Oh, my goodness. I couldn't. Because you see, in Trinidad, we were brainwashed to believe we were British. We were part of the motherland. When I got here, the first wonderful thing that happened, I saw my mum who looked up like an angel staring at me. And I remember running into her arms. So the train station? No, this was at the Southampton Docks. Southampton Docks, sorry. And we got on this train from Southampton to Waterloo. Waterloo Station. And you got there looking around like this cathedral-like building, me with my little grip, my suitcase, 10-year-old Floella. Little did I realise then that 62 years later, I would be the chair of the Windrush Commemoration Committee putting up a national Windrush monument for all the Caribbean people who came through in those Windrush days to help rebuild Britain. You see... Things do change. They, do, they, they, can, they can make a difference. Well, thanks to people like you and your energy and your strength and your belief and your passion. Baroness Florida Benjamin, her book is out now. What are you doing here? My autobiography. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, You're Chris. absolutely awesome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If your veins are a pain and you struggle in vain, then listen up, people. Our next guest has vanished more varicose veins than you've had hot dinners. He's a consultant venous surgeon, phlebologist, founder of the Whiteley Clinic and king of Chris's calves. You're so vain, you probably think this chat is about you. Professor Mark Whiteley. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Well, after that introduction, I'm doing very well. You are doing very well. Mark, how come you got into veins? As a little boy or a little girl, does anybody dream about becoming, you know, a phlebologist? Well, I always dreamed about becoming a doctor. And uh, once I got into medical school, the funny thing is right from the early days, I used to ask people, how do veins work? And I suddenly realised that even the people teaching us didn't realise, really know how they were working. So I sort of threw myself into understanding them. And then I couldn't understand that all the way through my medical career, if you have a bad result from varicose veins, people just pass it off and say, well, that's what happens. You know, veins always come back. Whereas there's no other medical condition where you would accept that. If you had a hernia or a cataract or anything else and it came back, you wouldn't put up with it. But for some reason, people put up with varicose veins coming back. And it turns out if you do enough research, that shouldn't happen. You can actually get rid of them and have a very low recurrence rate. But it's just we don't have very many vein specialists. Now, I um, got rid of mine, or I came to you to help get rid of mine because my legs were really heavy. They were not twice the size they should have been, but they were pretty uh, pretty enlarged. Um, you know, and I was running at the time. I had very heavy legs, and it was making my running miserable, which I normally find so joyful. What other reasons uh, do people need to sort their veins out, especially blokes who are, once again, surprise, surprise, tentative at talking about this? Absolutely. I mean, it's this weird thing that, you know, varicose veins are thought to be just cosmetic, and the research has shown that's not the case. And in fact, the NICE guidelines in 2013 have said that if you've got any aching legs, heavy legs, tired legs, or you've got any changes such as swelling of the ankles, um, clots in the veins like thrombophlebitis, if you've got any red stains or brown stains around your ankles or itching or leg ulcers, even if they're healed, you must see a venous surgeon. You must see, a, they actually call it a vascular surgeon, but it's actually you must see a venous surgeon. So the medical reasons, even if you can't see the varicose veins on the surface, if you've got these leg symptoms, they can be cured now. And it's been shown that per pound spent on that, it's actually more effective than almost any other medical treatment, purely and simply because people live so long afterwards if they have good treatment with no problem. 
So why is that? Why, 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 you know, why is it beneficial to our all-round health to sort this out? So, so what happens is it's not the varicose veins you see because half the people with varicose veins don't see anything on the surface, but your quality of life decreases. And there's some very good research that shows that this constant aching, the varicose veins don't really cause much pain as in sort of owl sort of pain unless you've got clots. But what they cause is general aching, dull ache, just as you described, heavy legs. And if you don't fix them, they just slowly get worse and start causing damage in the lower legs, leading to those things I've just described, including leg ulcers and clots. So uh, there's some very good research from uh, Germany. Uh, there was a big review in about 2014. And what they showed is they showed that 4.3% of people every year will deteriorate from just varicophanes to swollen ankles to red and brown stains and to leg ulcers. So everyone with proper varicose veins, even if they can't see them, you know, hidden varicose veins, they are on that track towards deterioration until they have treatment. And the only treatment that works is the endovenous surgery, the actual treatment of them. No, no tablets, you know, compression stockings, none of them actually change anything apart uh, in the long term, certainly. They can help the symptoms, but you, you actually need to have them fixed. Right. So in 1999, Mark, you did the first ever what? Uh, right. So up until 1999, people used to pull veins out. They used to do a thing called stripping. And all the way through my medical school career and as a junior doctor, I realised that the reason the varicose veins came back was because people were pulling them out. And of course, tissue just heals, but nobody would listen. So I was trying to work on a way to get inside the vein and destroy it from inside. And then this American company, I didn't, I could get into the vein under ultrasound, but I didn't know what to do. And this American company called Venus said, you know, use heat. So basically, we now use this pinhole technique where you get into the vein, pass a catheter inside, and then using either radio frequency, microwave, or uh, laser, we can then heat the vein up. And by shriveling it away, and my research has shown we don't just shrivel away, we actually kill the cells in the vein wall, we get a permanent closure of the vein. But it only works if you have excellent ultrasound, you treat the right vein, and you use the right amount of energy. So the trouble is a lot of people think they're having the treatment, but if you don't get all of those factors dead right, you don't get successful out. Right, now my legs are unrecognisable from before I came to see you, so th thank you so much. And my running is, um, I mean, as I say, it was joyous anyway, then it got a bit weary, things got a bit heavy, I started to get really miserable, it was it was really strange. Uh, but you fix them, and now in my mind I fly. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not even touching the ground anymore, it feels great. But, <laughs> but my ankles did start to get heavy again, and I'm leaking below the knee uh, the initial surgery was fantastic so so i am i now have um what do they call it when when your veins are leaking so i have a bit of what going on yeah you have you have the, the simple things are called a uh, reflux but reflux. what you've got is you've just opened up a few perforators and right. these are veins that should take blood from the outside in and then up to the heart and in your case the valves have gone so they're leaking outwards and this is one of the major reasons people get varicose veins back again, because in the UK, there's very few of us who treat those veins. So a lot of people do the sort of big veins, make it look good, but then the patients get their veins back within two or three years. If you treat all those perforators, you reduce the risk of veins ever coming back in in the future. Right. And you're going to, I'm going to have some foam treatment next. What's that? I quite like all so, these so, treatments, by the way. I, I actually really <laughs> look forward to them. It's, I love it. <laughs> Well, I love to chat with you as well. You're always <laughs> interesting. So what we're going to do is we're just going to close the perforators off with a little laser, a little technique we invented in 2000 called Trollop Technique. And then a few uh, days or weeks later, we're going to then close the overlying veins with the foam sclerotherapy. 
the trouble with foam is it doesn't work by itself. A lot of people are, sort of have foam, but if you don't have the underlying reflux treated first, it tends not to work in the long term. So it's these combination treatments that are shown to be best. Right, and that's going to be after the marathon because they've got to wear stockings for three weeks and they can't come off even for five minutes because that ruins the whole thing. Absolutely right, yeah. Once, once, we've, once we've destroyed the vein, you want to keep the blood out of it or else you get clots. All right. See, I was listening yesterday, Mark. You were? Yeah, very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pal. Thanks so much for being here, Mark. You're a genius. Love it. It's a great speaking to you again, Chris. Okay. See you soon. What a guy. Yeah. Professor Mark Whiteley, the vein doctor. There are others. His clinic is the whiteleyclinic.co.uk. Uh, well, that's his website. He has got various clinics. Eddie, he's fantastic. And I have never looked back. And as I say, I really actually quite enjoyed the treatment. You stay awake for most of it. Um, it's all good news. And I can't wait for my foam and my stockings or post the marathon, though. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.